It's time for JT the Brick. So we are open for business again, everybody. I had a dream that someday we'd have a flagship station with the cooperation of the team and the fans that stream globally. JT the Brick. Are we all on board with that? Because if you're not on board with this, you're going to have to enter a mental asylum. If you're not on board with this, it's going to drive you nuts. Jackpot, baby! And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio this Thursday here on what I think is a gorgeous day. It threatened rain last night on the mean streets of Summerlin where I live. It just drizzled. We didn't get the rain. I'm not a weatherman. I go to Dana Wagner, my buddy. Uh, Ted Pretty, other people in town that I know who know the news and the weather, we really thought we were going to get rained on last night, and it never happened. And now I look out today from my home studio, and it's absolutely perfect. Hey, and a perfect deal if you want to get great restaurant-quality meat is Meet Up Vegas. You hear those spots all the time, maybe too much at times. I had a gentleman come up to me at the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame and say, JT, I took your hookup, I went to meetupvegas.com, and that's the way I get the meat for my barbecue now. I don't mess with the butcher, the grocery stores. It's delivered right to my home, restaurant-quality meat, like the great chefs in Vegas get delivered right to your home. The code word is JTBRICK, and you just put that in there, meetupvegas.com, and I promise you, it's the only way we barbecue now in the summer here. We barbecue later in the night when it cools off. But we love that hookup. If you're joining us late, I opened up the show with Roger Goodell's testimony yesterday, which was a really big story because I believe we're all connected to this story of what's happening with the Washington Commanders and Daniel Snyder as the Wolves are at the door and the heat is coming down on him in a big way. You just heard Roger Goodell, part of the testimony, coming out of break as he talked about the unprofessional environment. And how that's been. What I didn't like about Roger Goodell is that Roger Goodell talked about Daniel Snyder not being present. And I thought this was a real easy way out for Roger Goodell because Daniel Snyder, when they came down with that suspension for him, they kicked him out of the sport for a year, but his wife runs the team. His wife, it's like my wife running the radio show or me doing my wife's job every day. It's ludicrous. And I thought it was really important that they asked him about this and the fact that he talked about Snyder being absent when yesterday when Goodell spoke, Snyder was on his yacht somewhere in Europe to get away from this. He got out of the country to get away from this. Here's what Roger Goodell had to say. For the past year, Daniel Snyder has not attended league or committee meetings and to the best of my knowledge has not been involved in day-to-day operations at the commanders. So right there you could tell that I, I could see in the body language of watching it again that Roger Goodell was very uncomfortable. He wasn't there for anything NFL-related other than the Washington Commanders. And then there was a few questions asked about Barstool and Dave Portnoy and some other issues that were there. But Roger Goodell threw the suit on, got on the Zoom call because he was told he had to because of the way Daniel Snyder has run the Washington Commanders into the ground in this toxic workplace environment. Roger Goodell kept getting pippered on this and talked about how the work environment has changed. And this is where the spin started to come in when Goodell talked about what's happened over the last year after that $10 million fine, which was a slap on the wrist for Snyder. To be clear, the workplace at the commanders today bears no resemblance to the workplace that has been described to this committee. So after hearing that, you could tell, you could see 
that Roger Goodell was doing his job for the other owners, representing one owner. He's doing his job for all the owners, saying that if you get in a bind or something happens and they call me, I'm going to have to go there and talk about you. And that's what that was all about all day yesterday. Uh, Roger Goodell also thinks this is part of the past on how the NFL did a pretty good job handling this over the last year. And I disagree on this. I really do because he believes the responsibility is now on the commanders and the NFL has responsibly looked into this issue. I don't agree with this soundbite. We believe that we've addressed this issue responsibly, uh, fairly, by protecting not only the people who came forward to help us address this, but also making sure that we saw that transformation in the Washington Commanders organization. So then a couple of more before we get back to you, and if you want to talk on that, about the allegations of Daniel Snyder, and that was back in 2009. There was allegations against him with misconduct, sexual misconduct, and did the NFL know about this? It's 2022, everybody. This question goes back to 2009. Did the NFL know about the 2009 allegations of sexual misconduct against Mr. Snyder before it took over the investigation? Yes or no? We did know about the 2009 allegations by July of 2001, 2000, excuse me. And then finally, uh, the other one that I want to hear, uh, this is an important one as we wrap this up, the worst workplace environment that Roger Goodell has ever seen. Listen to the soundbite as he talks about it. And this is where I believe Daniel Snyder got hit really hard yesterday, where he didn't have the support of Roger Goodell, even though Roger Goodell pretended to be there and talked about what they did right with the commanders in this investigation over the year. I think this soundbite sums up how upset Goodell is in the past history of this organization. I have not seen a workplace in the NFL um, that is anywhere near what we saw in the context of that period of time for the Washington Commanders. So that's just some of the sound. If you missed the early part of the show, my initial monologue, I wanted to get to. And then Carolyn Maloney, the congresswoman, came in with a bomb when she talks about the subpoena to Daniel Snyder. Uh, This soundbite really is the most important one as it wrapped up, because this is the one that is going to bring Daniel Snyder either back to the United States to get in front of Congress or have to answer the subpoena with his attorneys and have to show up via Zoom like Roger Goodell did yesterday. If the NFL is unwilling or unable to hold Mr. Snyder accountable, then I am prepared to do so. That is why I am announcing now my intent to issue a subpoena for the testimony of Mr. Snyder for a deposition next week. So with all of that, that's the biggest topic in the NFL right now, along with Deshaun Watson and what's happening with him and a couple other side stories, John Gruden and the emails and his independent individual case. That has a lot to do with this one. That's why I tie it into Vegas here, and it's a big off-season storyline. So I just wanted to talk about that and the fact that Roger Goodell said all day yesterday in that congressional hearing that he doesn't have the power to get rid of him. What he's basically saying is now that he has to make a choice. Roger Goodell has to make a choice to recommend to the other 31 owners to get rid of him, that he's going to have to make that representation at the owners' meetings in a private format with the owners and say, look, I was just brought in front of Congress. This is not going away. I recommend we get rid of him. And then they'd need a three-quarter vote. And as much as I think that Schneider should be out, I don't know what the other owners would do. We got a brand-new ownership in Denver. 
with the Walmart connection. We got ownership groups that have been through family ties for a long, long period of time, from the Davis family to the um, the Benson family. Uh, looking up to what we've seen over the years, now the new ownership from what used to be Ralph Wilson, very tight with Al Davis. Now it's the Pagula family. I can't tell you what the Pagula family would do in a vote. I have no idea. But I think this brings embarrassment to the league. So this shadowy, shadow probe that Daniel Snyder has conducted came out of the committee. Not only was there a toxic workplace environment, but we found out that yesterday that Daniel Snyder conducted a shadow investigation to bury all these findings. What he wanted to do is discredit the witnesses and the other people involved in this who were coming clean. Isn't that enough to get rid of him? Isn't that enough to get rid of Daniel Snyder? We've been talking about that. If you have anything to say on that before the show wraps up, 702-365-9200. Massive storyline that has to uh, get dealt with. Yesterday on our show, we broke the news that Tony Saragusa passed away. Uh, the former defensive tackle of the Baltimore Ravens, played with the Colts. He died at the age of 55. And I was texting with a couple of former employees that I worked with at Fox when we used to have Tony on the show. So Tony was the sideline reporter for Fox. And I really think that he broke through the television. He was great. He became a sideline reporter who was able to do whatever he wants. I actually think he pushed it to the envelope. And I interviewed him on it once, and I don't have the interview to go back to. It was so many years ago. But Tony would be under the goalpost. So if you remember, that's when he broke that screen, that third wall, as we talk about in television, and Tony Saragusa wouldn't be on one sideline. He'd walk around the end zone, stay behind the goalpost when the kicks were going through or not, then walk to the other sidelines because he was a former player, and he had connections with coaches and players, and he did that at an early age. He passed away yesterday at the age of 55. He was a broadcaster for a long period of time, and I really believe he had an impact. I've been a sideline reporter for most of my career, and basically they go to you three or four times a game, two or three times in the first half. Maybe you do something at halftime. But as a sideline reporter, you have to bring value to the game. And I really think that's an important part of the legacy of Goose, Tony Saragusa, because he had a really good broadcasting career, a really good broadcasting career, we had Nestor Aparicio on from Baltimore earlier in this week. I hooked up with him in Amsterdam, and we saw each other a week or so ago, and he was great friends with Tony Saragusa, and he was really upset by this. Former Ravens coach Brian Billick said, we would not have won the Super Bowl without him. This is such stunning, sad news, and our heart goes out to Kathy and the Saragusa family. There was no one like Goose, a warrior on the field, and a team unifier with a giving, generous heart who helped teammates and the community more than most people know. And yeah, he did do that. He helped out a lot of people in the community. Jim Ursay, because he started his career with the Indianapolis Colts, tweeted that he was heartbroken as of all Colts fans. He said he added a follow-up tweet. The Goose squeezed 200 fun-loving years in 55 years. And again, I've had him on at Radio Row. I didn't know him well but we knew each other on a first-name basis. And even in the ESPN column today, AFC Championship game, I'm reading exactly off of US, uh, ESPN.com. Saragusa took out Oakland Raiders quarterback Rich Gannon, driving the All-Pro into the turf and separating his left shoulder. The Ravens went on to beat the Raiders 16-3, to 16-3 to to advance to the Super Bowl. Saragusa said at the time, quote, I saw Rich's eyes roll back. He got every pound of my fat ass on him. 
And I know that hurt a lot of Raider fans at that point. It hurt me. That was a trip to the Super Bowl, and I thought that was the play of the game there. And a lot of Raider fans held that against them over the years. But that's a football player, and that was a football play. So I wanted to bring up Goose again today because there was a lot of coverage after the show last night all over SportsCenter. And he had a lot of friends in the industry, a lot of people who know him as a broadcaster, a lot of the younger fans out there, and a lot of people at Fox have a heavy heart today because he did a nice job. After his retirement, Saragusa was a sideline analyst, 2003 to 2015. He also had some acting roles appearing on The Sopranos and Spike Lee's movie, 25th Hour. So he had a hell of a life that he fit into 25 years, and he was well-respected, especially with the Ravens community. So just wanted to talk about that today if you didn't catch the show yesterday and wish Tony Saragusa and his family, especially his family, a Godspeed on this loss. He was a character. You know, the Raiders have had a lot of characters over the decades. When you watch NFL Network and the top 10 characters, Phil Villapiano, Al Davis, John Matuzak, Tony Saragusa was a character. He's a hell of a football player, a Super Bowl champion, a broadcaster who did a lot of things, who did a lot of things in his life. 702-365-9200. That's where we're at. Arch Manning, the great high school quarterback, Archie Manning's grandson, has now uh, decided he's going to go to Texas, which is a big deal because Texas is moving to the SEC. And that will be a big deal there, too, because remember, this is a team in the Big 12 on their way to the SEC. That is a storyline today. And a nice job by The Athletic, as we talked about earlier in the show, Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, as they put out their projected 53-man roster, pretty much the same what I think. And we'll touch on that if you didn't get a chance to read on that. But I wanted to get more back to Daniel Snyder. It's been the big topic in the NFL this week. Coming off the Warriors parade that we had on Monday, the hockey game last night. Man, what a performance by Colorado to put that game away in overtime. And the goalie for Tampa Bay was incredible in overtime, but it was just too much of a wave of intensity. That's the team you Golden Knight fans are going to have to deal with now. Colorado, I think, is going to be around for a while. And they're really good, and they're very intense, and they're very fast. And Vegas and Bruce Cassidy is going to have to figure out a way now how to beat Dallas with Peter DeBoer, which I think they'll be able to do. But Colorado looks like they're about to win the cup here on Friday, and that will be a team coming into the fortress that VGK is going to have to deal with. JT, on a beautiful Thursday, as we continue on, want to thank our good friends at Resorts World, where the Warriors went to Zook. The Warriors snuck into Vegas and went to Resorts World. Used to be other spots to go along the way, but now Resorts World, the brand-new property with the best new nightclub here in Vegas, got the Warriors for their celebration. Nice job by Scott Sabella and everybody over at Resorts World, those who were there said it was pretty spectacular. JT, as we continue on on a Thursday, a lot happening. Harry Ruiz will step in for me again for a couple of shows next week. Like the transition to Harry, the Latino voice of the silver and black as we continue here Thursday, wrapping up the show. JT, as we continue on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. two fronts. One is trying to stay disciplined in their mind on a Kyrie Irving extension. This is a player who has not been as available to them as they've wanted the last couple years. 
Uh, clearly, Brooklyn has been hesitant to do a long-term deal with Irving, but they also run the risk of alienating Kevin Durant and perhaps unfastening him uh, from his commitment to wanting to be in Brooklyn if Kyrie Irving were to leave. Wow, what a mess Kyrie Irving is causing. That's Agent Wojnarowski of ESPN. JT with you. Thanks for coming back, everybody. A big weekend in advance. We're getting, uh, we're counting down a Raiders training camp, which is happening here near the mid end part of July, and then all the Raider content hits up. We'll be doing broadcasts from the Raider facility. A couple of nice projects we're working in on Monday. We start a da- uh, countdown to Cliff Branch, where I'm asking everyone for one favor, and I don't ask you for nothing. I have never asked you for anything. I'm asking you now for a favor. I'd like one Cliff Branch call from all of you at one point this summer. Doesn't have to be Monday. Doesn't have to be next Tuesday. Whenever it is. Put something nice together for Cliff, and that'll be our tribute to him. Putting a lot of time into this, Bobby has been busting his ass, along with some help we're getting from the Raiders to image it, to do it right, to line up the guest. Uh, this is the summer of Cliff, countdown to Cliff Branch in the Hall of Fame. So Adrian Wojnarowski talked about Kyrie Irving, and he just tweeted 10 minutes ago, if Kyrie Irving can't reach an agreement to stay with Brooklyn, he has a list of teams he'd like them to consider on sign-in trades, including the Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Mavericks, and 76ers. None of those teams have cap space to sign him without the Nets' help. I had to look and read over that like three or four times before I just blurted out what I said. Those are the teams who Kyrie Irving has interest in, but he isn't necessarily a priority for all those teams, sources told Woj. So here is a troubled athlete. A troubled athlete who wasn't available because of his vaccination status. The fact that he wasn't vaccinated and over 98% of the league was. So he wasn't available. And because of his inability to play, Brooklyn had a bad seed. They had to play in the play-in. And then they ran into the one seed. And they got beat and they were out of the playoffs. And they got swept by Boston, if you forgot. So they were a mess last year. And now we're going to reward Kyrie Irving. Why would the Nets reward Kyrie Irving and give him an opportunity to play somewhere else? Well, they would do that because Kyrie can hold them hostage. You see, the elite athletes in sports, most of them are great guys. They're good people. They sign contracts. They live up to the contracts. They're great in the community. They help teams win championships. And then you have a group of elite athletes who are troublemakers, head cases, and cancers in the locker room. But they're so talented that their teams or multiple teams give them multiple opportunities to play for them. And Kyrie Irving's on the Mount Rushmore of that. So Kyrie Irving is a bad teammate. He's a guy that you can't count on. And there's eight or nine teams that would still like him. He knows it. You know it. So he can continue to behave poorly, not be available. See, back in the old days, if you acted this way before free agency or issues in sports and agents and whatever it was, guaranteed contracts or not, an owner would cut your ass or an owner would just make you sit and wouldn't let you play. And he'd bleed you out in regards to your money. He'd just penalize you and say, look, I'm going to pay you, but you're not going to play. We're going to make life miserable for you. Kyrie did that to the Brooklyn Nets. He did that to his bosses. He did that to the ownership group. And now the ownership group is still in a position where they have less leverage than the player. How would you like to be a multi-billionaire owner of a team? And you own the team. You write the checks. You pay the bills. You pour the concrete. You build the stadium and arena. And a player or two have leverage over you. That's exactly what we have here. Now, we recently had it in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers. 
if you recall last year, no one was, no one knew where Aaron Rodgers was going to play when he was going to show up. He was dating that wacky fiance of his. He was in the middle of the yoga cleanse. He was in Maui, growing his hair out, putting it in a hair bun, and no one knew if he was coming back. He could a retire, b hold out for more money, and he did, and he came back and won the MVP. Now he has leverage. He used that leverage properly. He took chances with the organization, alienated them. But then when he came back and he was ready to play, he ended up playing at an MVP level and won back-to-back MVPs. That's very rare to do. But what's complicated for Brooklyn is Brooklyn has to deal with Kevin Durant. Not only do they have Kyrie Irving to make happy, they have to keep Kevin Durant happy. And Kevin Durant normally is just on his phone and on his burner account And he's doing all these other things out there other than just focusing on basketball and being the leader of that team. Meanwhile, we have the Golden State Warriors, who are always available to play. Even Clay Thompson, who suffered through two years of injury, was available every day at workouts, available at team meetings for his team, got vaccinated, didn't have to, he wasn't playing, and did everything he was supposed to do to help his team win, even when he wasn't available to play on the court. So I wanted to tie this up by saying the ultimate example of a teammate is Clay Thompson. Injured, rehabs his injury, comes back, wins a championship, doesn't ask for more money, doesn't become a head case, is not on the police blotter, doesn't disappear from his team. And then you got Kyrie Irving, who doesn't show up to work, throws a party for his sister and his dad on a game night, doesn't come, and everybody's afraid of him. Everybody's afraid to sit him down like a grown-ass man and say, We're not going to reward you with the new contract. So I don't know where he's going to end up playing. But he has leverage, and I'm shocked by it. And I don't think he should have any. But his talent is so special. He's so gifted as an athlete. You can't take that away from him, and he can still call his own shots. So will the Lakers make the move? If LeBron James wants Kyrie Irving, it's over. They're going to get Kyrie Irving. But the Nets would have to give up Kyrie Irving and take something in return. If Kevin Durant doesn't like what the Nets take in return, Kevin Durant's going to force his way out of Brooklyn. And Brooklyn can go from a team that last year, get this, had James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving on the team. And they didn't do anything. They didn't win a playoff game. And they have to break up the whole team. Harden went to Philadelphia. He's a head case. Kyrie Irving is still a head case. He doesn't know what he wants to do. And Kevin Durant does not seem too happy with the opportunities that he has in front of him. This is the time in sports history where athletes, and good for them, have leverage. And only the best of the best of these certain athletes can use their leverage whenever they want and do it whenever they have to. And we're seeing it with Live Golf. Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson have leverage. They're already multimillionaires, and they can do whatever they want. I bring in one of the most important people in the history of sports radio, also a great gambler with great gambling advice. Mike North joins us in Chicago. Mike, I don't know if you caught the end of that, but can you believe that Kyrie Irving still has leverage after what he did to the Brooklyn Nets last year, my friend? He may have leverage. First of all, good uh, good to talk to you, JT. But he, he could have leverage, but uh, you know, leverage could be different. Michael Jordan, in other words, if he wanted to leave the Bulls back in the day, he would have had leverage with all the teams in the league. Kyrie Irving does have leverage because of contractual situation, but how much we don't know yet. He is a type of cancer. As we know, he'll come and he'll burn your team to the ground if you want. 
uh, and uh, you know you'll have to take a chance. But uh, there'll be somebody out there to to take a flyer at him, JT. Uh, you know maybe to see if you know maybe he's finally straightened himself out. He's left millions of dollars on the table. Uh, it seems like money doesn't mean anything to him. He lost like sixteen, seventeen million alone last year. So. You know, he's left money on the table before, and that's the most dangerous of, of, of maybe players, the ones that have leverage but really don't care about money. That's interesting because you covered the Bulls as close as anybody. And Scotty, Scotty took a bad deal, and Scotty took a really bad deal, and we saw about it in the last dance, and then he got bitter as he saw some mm-hmm. of the other contracts around him. What was it like to mm-hmm. cover Scotty Pippen at that time? Because he was brilliant on the way to winning all those championships, but he got really angry and uncomfortable with his contract situation. Yeah, he did, and Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, to his credit, warned him not to take it. Yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf said, listen, if you take this deal in four or five years, you might you know, be different. And what he did is, uh, I want the security. Once he got the security, he did what a lot of players do, started griping about it, so other people pass him by. Uh, he was brilliant, but he wasn't brilliant as a number one guy. Uh, if he would have been a number one guy with the issues that he had, uh, uh, domestic issues, gun on the seat uh, in front of uh, a, a, a local night spot, other mm-hmm. issues uh, that went on, then you would have gotten uh, the Scotty Pippen that maybe you got when he didn't get off the bench for the 1.8. Tony Kukoc saved his career, basically, in Chicago by hitting that shot. Scotty was never, uh, I don't think, mentally tough enough to be a number one. He missed a playoff game because of a supposed migraine headache headache, uh, with the Detroit Pistons, uh, sat out a game, uh, uh, the final seconds of the game was a 1.8. Uh, went to other teams like Portland and Houston, and it didn't work out. So uh, he was a very fortunate guy. I think uh, when you look at it, I mean, think about this, JT. I know he was gifted defensively, but playing with Michael Jordan helped him. I think he averaged like 17 points a game, and he's in the top 75 all time. Mike North is our guest. Follow him at North to North. So how do you follow this Deshaun Watson story from the beginning to where it is now with the 20 of the 24 settlements? Did you think he would settle, or did you think he'd hold back to try to clear his name long-term with the $230 million guarantee as long as it takes? Because for the rest of his life, Mike, everybody could walk up to him and say, you settled. You didn't clear your name. You settled. How's this playing out in Chicago? What's your thoughts? Well, he hasn't been covered like I thought he should have been covered. The league has been sort of ignoring it, in my opinion. I mean, when Ben Roethlisberger had his issues, you read about it every day. And it was nothing compared to 24. I'm not trying to uh, make comparisons between one guy's problem and another guy's problem. But it just seems to me uh, you have a guy, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, He's 28 and 25 all time. Mitch Trubisky's 29 and 21. Mitch Trubisky's making $7 million a year. He'll be starting for Pittsburgh, and he ran a kid's camp. This guy settles with 20 out of 24 women. There's still four women out there. The Cleveland Browns stupidly, stupidly alienate themselves with Baker Mayfield, who played hurt a lot last year, but also has been a winner with this club. Uh, So you see certain, it just seems like, things happening with Deshaun Watson that I think you know, the media didn't lean heavy enough on it. But now Roger Goodell's got to do some sort of act here because, you know, you have the Washington Redskins situation. You have uh, Goodell in front of Congress. Uh, so uh, they're gonna, there's going to be a suspension here. But I thought that Cleveland 
acted irrationally. I don't think they did their homework on this guy because the 24th didn't come out until after they did the deal with the, Cle- uh, with the Cleveland Browns. Mike North joins us. You know, Mike, you watched the congressional hearings or at least saw the sound bites. Yeah. It looked like Roger Goodell was he, he was composed. He knew what he was going to answer. It wasn't about Roger Goodell or the league. It was specifically about Daniel Snyder and the mm-hmm. workplace dysfunction. But it made him in the summer put on a tie, have to be in front of Congress, ha- having to be under oath. I got to think that didn't went well. And do you b- agree like I do that he's going to go back to the owners uh, because this further embarrassment, Daniel Snyder is now getting subpoenaed to come back, and Goodell, he knows he needs three quarters of the vote. Do you think he'll tell the owners in a closed door meeting, "We got to get rid of this guy, or I'm going to have to go in front of Congress and embarrass myself again"? I want him out. Or do you think he'll protect the owner because the other owners down the road might need protection when they get in trouble? Well, that's what happens there. I think you hit it right on the head. That's why you're one of the best. The second uh, part of your statement there, JT, is that the other owners may be anxious to get Snyder out of there, and they may see a heavy that they've hired, really, I mean, that works for them in the commissioner, Goodell. I thought Goodell, uh, his his uh, testimony was uneven. I thought there was some uh, stuff that was forgotten uh, in his uh, testimony. I know that they're going to be watching the Watson case. Forget mm-hmm. about the Washington Redskins case. Of course, that's the most important thing that he's testifying for. But the way that they've handled domestic and and other situations, workplace situations over the years, I think is going to make them have to throw the book at Deshaun Watson. Otherwise, someday he may be up there in front again. I don't think he'll try to undercut Snyder. Maybe he'll have somebody else try to do it, you know, through a network type of situation that he says, go talk to the owners if you can. But that's a dangerous situation, especially when you're hired by the owners. And there's been some issues with Roger Goodell as the commissioner over the years. Wrapping it up with Mike North. Uh, Mike, a couple other big topics here. We just had Bill Krakenberger on before you, mm-hmm. a big-time gambler. You gamble often, yeah. but you gamble sharply and smartly. Where do you pick your spots in the offseason? You love to bet college and pro football. Now there's baseball going on. There's value there. But a lot of sports take a break here at this time of year. We just came off the NBA Finals with Steph Curry. I don't know who you played, if you played the Warriors at any point during the season. And baseball, how do you keep your gambling fix going? What do you like this time of year? Well, I had the Warriors. I took the Warriors like three weeks ago. I said uh, uh, to my partner on ESPN, uh, Carmen DeFalco, I said, I don't understand how everybody's on the Celtics. I I really don't. I I said, I'm going to take them to win it all. You're playing a pedigree-type game. Then you start reading social media nonsense where they're comparing Tatum to Larry Bird, just some of the most ridiculous stuff you want to see so people can get notches on their Twitter belt, if you will. Uh, I thought that Golden State came out. Uh, it, it alleviated, thank God, the argument I always made that people thought that Golden State needed Durant to win a championship when they had already won without him. I thought Durant had been a front runner. He knew he couldn't beat him, so he went over there and joined him. Then he went and tried to run his own club, and he walked into probably one of the worst situations in basketball with Harden uh, coming in fat and Kyrie Irving. We just talked about him not really wanting to play all that much, but I did over and unders this year, JT, uh, with with seasonal totals with teams, four of them, and I'll tell you what, it looked good early. 
I have mm-hmm. Detroit under 78 and a half. The Tigers, they're horrible. But yeah. uh, I also took the Cubs over 74 and a half. They're horrible. They're not going to get that, so that's even. Right now, I have Boston under 85. Pretty soon, they'll stop playing Baltimore, Cincinnati, and Oakland and start playing the Yankees and Toronto and Tampa Bay. And I also have Tampa Bay over 90. So what I did this year to lay off betting every day is I took four teams, and then as it gets closer, I'll probably start betting individual games in August and September. But right now, I'm just riding the season totals of those four teams. One and one right now, and I need some help with the other two. Last one. What's the big bear story this offseason? The development of Justin Fields, Khalil Mack's gone to the Chargers, which is still shocking with me. Is everybody bullish on the Bears this offseason that this young quarterback is going to take the next step? Remember, he won in Vegas. Raiders won 10 games. He didn't have a great game, but he beat our silver and black out here and got the Bears mm-hmm. the win. What's the optimism like in Chicago for Fields? You know, one eye is going to be on Pittsburgh with Mitch Trubisky and the Pittsburgh Steelers. you got a winning quarterback now. They made the playoffs last year with a guy named Ben Roethlisberger who barely made it over six yards in attempt. <laughs> so people will be watching that, but we're also going to be watching Justin Field, the guy that 75% of the Bear fans wanted. Be careful what you hope for. I still think he's going to be maybe serviceable. I don't think he's going to be great like uh, like Mahomes or these other guys. He mm-hmm. went up in the draft. Uh, you know what they're saying now? He doesn't have a whole lot around him. Well, you know, Trubisky didn't have a whole lot around him, so he went 29 and 21. So it's going to be interesting where the Bears thought Trubisky wasn't good enough to start for them, but the Pittsburgh Steelers picked them up, and that's going to change that division. Don't kid yourself. I already bet the over seven and a half wins for Pittsburgh. That's almost like the gift that keeps on giving. They got a competent quarterback with a really good football team. Justin Fields did beat Oakland last year, but he also turned the football over 16 to 18 uh, times. And I didn't mean to say Oakland. I meant to say Las Vegas. But he turned the ball over 16 to 18 times, including fumbling 12 times. That's going to be a problem, maybe. Enjoy the rest of the summer, my friend. We'll catch up with you during football season. Oh, thanks for remembering me, buddy. I was sitting going, where's JT? And then all of a sudden it rang. I love you, buddy. Good luck to those Raiders. You got it. Love you. Mike North, man. Really, I'm happy you could hear him. He He's one of the reasons I'm on the air. He is one of the pioneers of sports radio. The first ever radio host to make a million dollars a year. One million dollars a year locally in Chicago. Brilliant career. We caught up together, syndicated-wise, became good friends, and Days like today in the summer, I wake up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee, I got the car wash today, I uh, saw my boy Pat, and uh, we talked for a little bit as I was having a, car, a coffee, getting my car washed, and he said, JT, he goes, he wanted, he, it's a guy I talked to about basketball a lot, I go, what happens with Kyrie and LeBron? He says, you ever watch Tom and Jerry? Oh, not anymore, as a kid I did, he goes, well, Tom always thought he didn't need Jerry, but always to get out of trouble, he needed Jerry. He thought LeBron is going to need Kyrie and ship Anthony Davis out. I said, man, wow, that's a strong sports take. I'll make sure I get it on the air. Hey, Raider fans, remember last year the Raiders had Chicago at home, and that was supposed to be a lock win, absolute lock win. Raiders lost to the Chicago Bears, and they lost to the Washington Commanders, a team that we've been talking about all week because of the dysfunction of the Washington football organization. Chicago had Justin Fields, and the Raiders also lost to Cincinnati at home, Another game that I thought they should have won. So with everything that the Raiders did winning 10 games, I still go back to the losses to the Washington Commanders, the Chicago Bears, and the big one, the New York Giants, and Daniel Jones. Remember that stinker? So then the Raiders had these really important wins. They won at Dallas. They won at Indianapolis. They won at Cleveland. 
right? Huge wins, big wins. They beat the Chargers to knock the Chargers out of the playoffs last game of the year. When I look at the schedule here, everybody in the Raider Nation this time around, we all want to see where the easy games are. And everybody's saying Jacksonville and Houston. Jacksonville's not going to be a cakewalk. That game's on the road. Jacksonville's got a completely new football team, but the Raiders are better. And a lot of other Raider fans are coming up to me saying the lock games are Jacksonville, Houston, and Seattle. Okay, well, let's start with Seattle. You know how tough it is to win in that building? Now, you better hope if you're a Raider fan, and I know you are, you're listening to the flagship, that they stick with Geno Smith and Drew Locke. That would be a gift to the Las Vegas Raiders because if they get Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield's better than Geno Smith and Drew Locke. And I think they could get him. Baker Mayfield's going to end up somewhere. Seattle would be a pretty good fit. So there's two ways of looking at the schedule. One of the ways to look at the schedule is just have a discussion on who's playing for both teams. I look at the quarterbacks. I look at the quarterbacks when I look at the schedule. And you put Derek Carr first and say, we have Derek Carr, and Derek Carr is as good as any quarterback out there. He is. Derek Carr is good enough in any given game to beat anybody. But the quarterbacks that the Raiders get to play this year in the regular season before the bye week are Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is going to the Hall of Fame. Russell Wilson is going to the Hall of Fame. Justin Herbert, I don't want to drive everybody nuts, but his career is off to a Hall of Fame pace because everybody is kissing this guy's ass like he's the greatest quarterback to to be there of all time. So in the first five games, the Raiders face two, no debate, First ballot Hall of Famers in Wilson and Mahomes. Kyler Murray, a number one pick overall. Justin Herbert, who is a star, absolute star in this league. And then Tannehill, cars better than Tannehill. After the bye week, uh, Houston's quarterback, Mills, I don't think he'll be starting at that time. They might get Baker Mayfield or someone else. Then it gets interesting. After the bye week, you play Houston, Jameis Winston in New Orleans, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, Matt Ryan of the Colts, then Russell Wilson again, and then Geno Smith. That's when the Raiders got to make their hey, man. The Raiders really got to go on a run from week seven all the way through week 12 where they're all manageable games, and then the schedule kicks in again. Chargers at Raiders December 4th. Raiders at Rams December 8th. How wacky is that week going to be? Raiders are going to play on the 4th and the 8th and play two teams who play in L.A., the Chargers in Vegas and the Raiders in L.A. taking on the Rams. Uh, fortunately, on the back end of the schedule, the Raiders will play Mitchell Trubisky, Trey Lance. So if you're looking at quarterback, quarterback, Derek Carr puts the Raiders in a really good chance to win a lot of games. What do you have to say? We're almost done with the show. 702-365-9200 as we continue on here. And I'm getting a lot of feedback on Twitter. We opened up on TikTok and you can also follow me on the Sports Source, something my son put together for me where we're getting some good feedback. And he's even posting some videos there right now. 702-365-9200. Looking forward to Saturday night heading out to the Virgin. Uh, we're going to have a good time there as Primus is playing the album Farewell to Kings of Rush. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do some business and say hi to some friends at the end for Killer Queen. So a good weekend of music here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. My dog's sleeping right next to me. He doesn't aw- he doesn't wake up when I yell and scream on the radio. Getting ready to... <laughs> right, Bobby. He is used to it. No doubt about that. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show. 
couple of more big storylines here on the Raiders. And if you don't have a subscription, get one to The Athletic. Deshaun Reed and Vic Tapert's got some really good contact content. I'll circle back to that coming up next. into the third period and ladies and gentlemen boys and girls of all ages this is a tie hockey game it was a great hockey game last night went into overtime tampa bay loses their second overtime game it looks like it looks like it's over they're up three games to one friday night Uh, colorado has the opportunity to win the stanley cup and look i look at it this way colorado is a rival now to the vegas golden knights they've been here vegas just turned six years old Six years in the league, and there's been four, five great playoff runs. When you look at the uh, the, the the four year runs, one to a Stanley Cup final for the Vegas Golden Knights. Now they bring in a new head coach and Bruce Cassidy, and they just get rid of Peter DeBoer, who ends up in Dallas. Gerard Gallant, the first coach, takes the Rangers to the conference finals. It's just crazy what's going on with all this turnover for coaches. But Vegas brought in Jack Eichel, and Jack Eichel needs to be a superstar. Connor McDavid is a superstar at Edmonton. Landis Gog and what the, the the trio of great players that they have in Colorado are amazing. And there are pockets of teams that have superstars. Vegas has multiple big players. Mark Stone. Okay, when you look at the, the ability of some of these other players, Shea Theodore, to be elite players in this league, it starts and ends going forward with Jack Eichel. A lot of money went into Eichel to be the face of the franchise. He's got to get completely healthy. Now that he came off an injury and played last year, gave it a go. Vegas didn't make the playoffs. Eichel's got to have a massive offseason of upgrades with his body and his health and his neck and come in this year, next year and make a run and be a, te- be a player that can put a team on his back. Looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Uh, training camp dates have been announced for all 32 teams. I saw that out on Yahoo today. And it's interesting what's going to happen with the Raiders coming up here because you know, the Raiders are in a really interesting situation because the Raiders have to play in that first game. So as Yahoo put out today, that's Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. The rookies will meet on July 18th. The veterans on July 20th as they come in there. Now, remember, the veterans, let me give you a couple other teams. The Charger veterans are coming in on the 26th. That's six days behind the Raiders. The Dolphins are coming in on the 26th. The Vikings, the 26th. The Patriots, the 26th. Most of the teams here are the 26th. As a matter of fact, pretty much all of them, as I'm scrolling down, are the rookies, a matter of fact, for the 49ers coming on the 26th along with the veterans. So the Raiders are coming in earlier because they have that first game out in Canton, Ohio. So will that be a plus? Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I think that'll be good for Josh McDaniels to have more opportunity to work for this team and to see what happens. So I'm excited about this. The league announced today that all reports date around the league the first team the first team to have its veterans report will be the las vegas raiders led by josh mcdaniels will have their vets there on july 20th that's a full week before everybody else let that sink in so you're going to see a coach here that's going to have to manage this time all of this time and get through it and it's going to be a long camp 
That's the moral of this. It's a long camp of those guys being together, getting ready for Canton, and then after Canton, looking at that schedule. And there's a trip to Miami in the preseason. I didn't like the preseason schedule. I'm happy to be a part of it. And the regular season schedule I'm not thrilled with, only because they only had one primetime game. And that'll be against the New England Patriots pretty much at the end of the season. So the long journey for the Raiders, everybody, put it in your phone. It's starting on July 18th for the rookies and 20th for the veterans. Derek Carr will walk into that building on July 20th, focus with a new head coach, a new GM, and he's got to get Devontae Adams, his former roommate in college, up to speed quickly, and I know they will. They spend all their time together and then go on this run, which will hopefully go well into January and into February as I look at the schedule here in front of me. So many people are excited about this schedule, and especially the games on the road, which I'm happy to say I'll be on the road with the Raiders in Nashville. Canton before that and New Orleans which is about as good enough for me and my liver to go out there and have fun those are going to be some fun cities to go to matter of fact I'm looking forward to Nashville more so than ever because I think we can really pull off a good Raider party and details will be coming on that quick reminder that we'll be kicking off the summer of cliff on Monday cliff branch content will be flowing in coming out of every break the show opens we're going to do a big deal with that and have a great weekend Coming up, I'll be back here tomorrow. Harry Ruiz will be in for me at the end of next week. And it's the grind of summer radio, which I love more than ever. I got both my sons in the house. Uh, Both of them working this summer. Wife said her job today. Me and the dog going to dive in the pool and have a great weekend. There's a lot happening. Johnny Katz told you yesterday on the show all the great spots to be this weekend, all of the concerts that are in town, and the sports, the Las Vegas Aces, Mark Davis's team. Really excited about what the future holds there. And then on top of that, boxing, Canelo and Triple G announced their date the night before the home opener. Wow, what a weekend that's going to be. Raiders open up on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals the night before Canelo and Triple G for the trilogy. That's a, that's a great weekend in Vegas. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Bill Krakenberger, that was a fun conversation. And Mike North. We'll let you know what we have tomorrow via Twitter at JT the Brick. We put out our show lineup long before the show starts. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks to all of our proud partners and our newest one, Virgin Hotels. Head on out to Virgin. Check out Olive's Restaurant. Make sure you go to my favorite steakhouse. One of them, but my favorite guy, J-O-D at One Steak. I'll be there this weekend, and we got a lot happening. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the flagship.